Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. It is my privilege to be able to stand up here this morning and uh, deliver a message to you. Pastor Dave and his family are on a well-deserved holiday, and I hope they are having a lot of fun there. But today I get to come out of kids. I love being up in kids, but... It's also special being here, and I have actually really missed worshipping amongst everyone here. But I have a message today, and so I'll dive straight into it with a question. Who or what do you follow? Do you follow a sporting team like the Broncos, who I think finished bottom of the rung? Or maybe you follow the Raiders, the Panthers, the Socceroos, the Firebirds, you know, wearing their team colours with pride, watching every one of their games, and cheering them on whether they win or lose. Or maybe you're not quite into sport and you follow music like Taylor Swift, Justin Bieber, Bethel or the Wiggles, you know, singing their songs at the top of your lungs as you drive or as you're in the shower. Maybe you follow the ice cream van as it jingles its way around the streets so that you can get that ice cream that you can only ever get from home ice cream. Or whether, do you follow the stock market? And I don't know much about the stock market. I think it's about investments. It goes up and it goes down, something like that. Hmm. You know, as a child, I loved following my older siblings around, and I had five of them, so they were great to follow. And, you know, as I followed my sisters around, I felt so grown up, even though in reality I was probably only four years old, but I felt like I could do everything they were doing, which meant school. And my sisters, you know, we had a fake little school desk, we had an old school desk at home, and we'd play school a lot of the time. It was a lot of fun. They even taught me how to spell the word people before I went to school. And still to this day, I don't know why there's an O in people. It just doesn't follow the English language system. But I followed my brothers as well, and they didn't really do educational games like school, but they were still fun to follow, and I was such a helpful sister that if I ever saw them doing something wrong, I'd make sure mum knew about it, because that's just what little sisters are for. Eventually, they stopped telling me what they were doing, and I think that was probably because they didn't want to get in trouble. But anyway, we can follow people in real life, but with the internet at our fingers, on our devices, It is so easy to follow people who aren't even with us. You know, with social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram, you can follow along with someone and feel like you're a part of their life just by the photos and the messages they share or that are shared on their behalf. Uh, You know, I've got a few images that will come up, almost. But, uh, you know, you can follow your friends, the people you actually know, and you can follow your friends, the people you think you know but who you've never actually met before. Like, I like to follow Bindi and Robert Irwin, Steve Irwin's kids, You know, I've never been to Australia Zoo, I've never even met them, but I love seeing the pictures, the photos they share of this great country we live in. I love Australia, I love the wildlife, I love the surrounding nature, the flora, the fauna, all of it. And so by following along with them on Instagram, I feel like I know them. And if you haven't caught up in the news, Bindi is married to Chandler and they're expecting their first child, so a new baby warrior, wildlife warrior, is on the way. So I feel like I know them, but I really don't. But it's not just people we can follow. We can follow businesses like the Australian government. I think I've got that one. You can catch up with all their news on there. Or maybe you're into home design. You can follow IKEA and get decorating ideas, everything like that. There's tourism sites. You can look at photos of places that you might not be able to get to yourself. But you can see someone else's images and go, you know what, I feel like I've been there because I've seen someone else's images of it. There's uh, food dinner ideas. Uh, what do you call it, DIY, there's uh, fitness coaching for if you're at home, you can follow churches or Christian leaders who put up really encouraging Bible verses, and if we go back one, you can even follow someone's fur baby, 
This cat has 176,000 followers, people who want to keep up to date with Stella and Mount Marmite and see everything they're doing, their latest hairstyle, their latest tricks, and the positions they like to sleep in around the house. It's never been so easy to follow. You just put in your search term, click the little blue follow button, and voila, you can follow someone. But on the flip side of it, have you ever been invited to follow someone else? Not on social media, but in real life. Has someone ever come up to you and said, follow me? And if they did, did you trust them enough to actually follow them? He so I said, I had older siblings, and my older brothers, yes, I liked following them, but there were times when I knew I shouldn't trust them. Like when they tell me that blue cheese is going to be really nice. It is not nice. I don't like blue cheese. But I followed him, and I tried it, and yeah, anyway, we'll, we'll leave that follow story. At the moment, we're in week three of our invitation series. So learning, looking at invitations from Jesus. We've looked at his invitation to rest and his invitation to refresh. Today, the invitation is to follow him. Jesus is inviting us to follow him. Now, I will preface this. I'm finding it really hard to say the word Jesus or any words with S's in it because I uh, had a collision with a student on camp this week and I have a slightly swollen lip and sore tooth. So if I start to lisp, this is what that is. But we'll keep going anyway because it's fun. So if you have your Bibles with me, we're going to be reading in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. If not, it'll come up on the screen. It's already there. And this is what it says. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. So simple. Jesus came past, said, follow me, and they did. There's another account in Matthew 9, verse 9, that says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. You know, I love the way the Bible condenses such significant events into a very, very small section of words. Four verses, and we have two accounts of when Jesus invited some men to follow him. But I think there's something really significant in this passage and in Jesus' invitation to follow him. And so this morning, we're going to unpack that and see what it means. But first, I need to give you a history lesson, because the accounts that happened in the Bible here were over 2,000 years ago in a time and place that was very different to where we are today. And so, even though it's school holidays and many of us haven't done history in a long time, I will give you a short history lesson so that we understand the importance of Jesus' invitation to follow. Now, I have a, a little diagram, hopefully, of a pyramid. This is how the schooling system worked when Jesus was born and grew up. At the bottom level, so when they were four or five years old, boys and girls, if the girls were allowed to, uh, would start primary school. Now, this would be at the synagogue, and they would learn by reading and writing scripture. They also memorized large portions of it, which is why it's no surprise that the Pharisees knew a lot about scripture, but whether or not they knew how to interpret it as God wanted was another question. At 12 to 13 years of age, they were considered, uh, they'd graduated from primary school, and they were able to partake in their first communion. From there, the girls would, who had been learning would go back into the home and go back into domestic living. The boys would uh, start learning a trade, un typically under their father, and the best students from primary school would be able to go on to secondary school, called Beth Midrash. Here, they would add to their learning of scripture with the writings of the prophets, and they would start learning about the interpretations of scripture. Then beyond secondary school, the best students, again, would seek a rabbi or a teacher to follow, often leaving home for a a while, a few years at a time, to follow this rabbi around and learn from them. And their main goal was to become like their rabbi. 
It wasn't to complete a degree or to do assessments and come out the other end. It was actually to be that mentor in how they acted, how they lived, how they spoke, basically how they lived, how they were, to be almost an exact replica of that person. But this was a very difficult uh, course of study. It was a student who went up to the rabbi and said, sir, may I follow you? Or teacher, may I follow you? And then the rabbi would look at the student and consider carefully and go, hmm, do I actually want this person to follow me? Will they have the commitment required? Will they have the, the knowledge of scripture, the respectability? Do I want them to even look like me and to be my representative? Imagine if this happened today and a 17-year-old, 18-year-old straight out of high school came up to you and said, can I follow you? I want to be exactly like you. I want to go to the same restaurants. I want to dress like you, do everything like you, cheer for the same sporting teams and all that. I wonder what our interview questions would be like. We'd probably start serious and go, okay, so how did you graduate from high school? What was your ATAR score or OP? You know, how committed were you to your schooling and your learning? Or have you had a part-time job? And if so, how committed were you to that? Did you just have one or did you have multiple and you've left it and you know what, maybe you won't show that commitment level. Or maybe it's a bit more serious, like are you an Apple or an Android fan, Mac or Microsoft? Or is it, do you drink coffee? Because if you don't drink coffee, you really can't follow me. I'm not sure I would want someone following me. And in Jesus' time, it was actually fairly common that most students were turned away. They were not considered able to follow that rabbi. But the ones who were accepted, it was a remarkable confirmation of the, um, the confidence the rabbi had in them. And they would follow the rabbi along for a while, and eventually the student or disciple would become level with the rabbi and they would be able to start teaching in their own right and have people seek to, uh, to follow them. Most of them were Torah teachers, which meant they learnt, uh, sorry, they taught interpretations that already had been made, but there are few rabbi, these were the exceptional ones, who taught with authority, which meant they had the authority to come up with new interpretations about scripture. And if we look through the Bible, Jesus was one of these remarkable rabbis. You know, wherever he went, whenever he was invited to teach in a synagogue, the people were amazed at how he spoke because he spoke as one with authority. You know, he was a rabbi that students would seek. The exceptional students wanted to be the best they could be, and to do that, they had to find the best teacher, the best mentor. And yet, if we go back to our passage, Jesus wasn't the one waiting for a student to come to him. He was the one who went and asked people to follow him. And he didn't wait for the, uh, the exceptional students to come out of the secondary school. You can leave that down. Instead, he went and found some ordinary, even disliked men and asked them, follow me. In Gateway Kids, we've been doing a series called Everyday Heroes, where we've been teaching the children, uh, the kids up in uh, Kids Zone, that Jesus invited ordinary people to follow him and be a part of the extraordinary which I think is really cool because I get to teach a sermon on following and I've just been teaching it nonstop for the past few weeks. So let me uh, give you a summary of the everyday heroes who received an invitation from Jesus to follow me. Peter and Andrew, Peter being Simon from the story because Jesus renamed him Peter. Peter and Andrew were simple fishermen. This was not a high-paying profession. In fact, it was possibly boring, but you know they had to sit in a boat all day, which I know can be great, but when you have to do it with the intent that what you're doing will put food on your own table, can get a bit tedious. So they threw the nets out, they'd pull the nets back in, they'd throw the nets out, they'd pull the nets back in, hopefully with fish. Then they'd have to haul them onto land, they'd have to sort through the fish, the really smelly fish, which meant they probably got really smelly as well. Then they'd have to fix the nets that the fish broke. And eventually, they'd also get drenched by unexpected storms. Being a fisherman, 
wasn't a very, uh, respect, I mean, very remarkable job. And even the people, Peter and Andrew, as they were following Jesus, they weren't perfect. Peter was known to be impetuous. He uh, would often, you know, speak out of turn. He tried to rebuke Jesus. He lost his courage as he, you know, yes, he had courage to step out of the boat, but when he realized what he was doing, he took his eyes off Jesus and started to sink. And then on the night when Jesus was arrested, he cut off the ear of a soldier in defense for Jesus, but then within the next six hours, he denied even knowing Jesus. Peter was not someone you would expect Jesus would ask to follow, and yet Jesus did. Of the other disciples, James and John were partners in the fishing industry. They were known to be the sons of thunder. I'm not entirely sure what that means, but I know it doesn't sound like they were humble and compassionate and meek and, you know, yeah, gentle, like Jesus came across as. And yet, they too were asked to follow. And even in Acts 4, verse 13, when Peter and John were before the Sanhedrin, all the leaders of the, uh, that society at, the, at that time, they were looked at as ordinary and unschooled men. They hadn't been to school, they hadn't really learned much, and yet these are the people Jesus had asked to follow. Matthew, the tax collector, he was educated enough to know how to handle money, but a tax collector was also a really bad reputation, had a bad reputation, because in their handling of money, they would often pocket a lot for themselves, and no one liked the tax collector. No one would invite them over to dinner. And yet Jesus asked Matthew to follow him, to be like him. Philip was a questioner and Thomas was a doubter. In fact, all of the disciples were often rebuked for doubting what Jesus was doing and doubting how powerful God was. And yet every one of these men that Jesus invited to follow him were men that Jesus believed would have what it took to do what he could do. You know, Jesus wasn't looking for the best prayer life, the highest grades from school, or the ability to spell Nebuchadnezzar. He was, you know, there were enough self-righteous Pharisees wandering around who could fulfill the, uh, the duties of best this and best that. Instead, Jesus was looking for a willing heart. You know, someone who would follow what he was doing and would catch the heart of God for his love for people and would then be able to go on and share it because that's what Jesus came for. You know, way back in the Old Testament, when Samuel was looking to anoint a new king, Samuel looked for height and appearance, thinking, you know, those are definitely the characteristics of a good king. And yet the Lord responded and said to him, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jesus saw the heart of his disciples and knew that they were capable of following him and doing what he was doing, stepping out of the boat, healing the sick, and proclaiming the truth about God. And he's inviting us to the same kind of life. Follow me, and you will do the extraordinary for God's kingdom. God doesn't consult our past to determine our future, and he believes in us way more than we could ever believe in ourselves. So what does it look like to follow Jesus? I believe it is a relationship. Jesus is inviting you into a relationship. Not to a university course with assignments or something that you have to strive to be good enough to achieve the grade that you need to pass at the end. It's actually a relationship, a friendship. He's asking us to be his friend in a way. Now, if you've ever been around children, children are really funny when they, when they make friends. Uh, I think they have two criteria in, in who they ask to be their friend. Number one, Will that child play the game I want them to play with me? Yes, all right, cool, they can be my friend. Or do they have a toy I want to play with? Yes, all right, I will be their friend because I would like to play with that toy as well. It doesn't work for adults that way. It takes us a lot longer to make friends, I think. 
Because you have to learn about the person. You have to learn if who they are is actually the same as who they've been saying they are. You know, if the person that they are in front of a camera is the same, or in front of, you know, their photos on Instagram, is the same in real life, especially when life has its ups and downs. I was on a camp once. I used to love leading on Schools Out, which is a grade seven camp that SU, so Scripture Union runs. And, you know, one year in particular, I remember, you know, this camp was, it was to celebrate the end of primary school. And so grade six or grade seven students would, uh, from all across Brisbane, would register to come on camp and they would have five days at a campsite, so sleeping overnight in dormitories, five days full of activities, um, you know, discussion times, uh, inputs about who God was and just a lot of fun. Imagine kids running around nonstop. It was great fun. And one year in particular, I had six to eight girls in my group. And you know, I hadn't met them before. Some of them knew each other from school, but some of them didn't. And yet, in those five days, we forged such a strong friendship that I still keep in contact with one of them today. And this was over, I don't even know how many years ago, 10 years ago almost. And the point that we became such good friends was day two during messy games. Messy games on this point involved a blue tarp on the ground covered with tin spaghetti and raw egg and I think it was raining so there was probably mud involved with that as well and you basically had to, I think it was like dog and bone, so you, you had to all run in and try and grab the item that was in the middle of the slimy tarp and then get, get it back to your team before the other opposition could do it. We all got dirty, we all got terribly messy but I think it was in that moment that we became such good friends because I didn't stand back as a leader and go, no, this is just a game for the campers. They can get dirty, I'll just be nice and clean. I actually got down with them and got dirty. We did life together, even the messy parts of it. And because we had that, that moment where you know, we could respect each other for what we were doing, it meant that they listened to me even more as we were sharing discussions about who God is. And some of them didn't even believe in God at this point. So you know, it was doing life together being a part of that friendship where true relationships are formed. You know, the disciples didn't just follow Jesus in the high times, but they also followed him in the hard times, like when he heard the news of John the Baptist's death or through the grief of Lazarus and when he was verbally attacked over and over and over again by the religious leaders who thought he was doing the wrong thing. But yet as they followed Jesus, the disciples learned so much because it wasn't about getting to a destination, it was about everything they could learn on the way that taught them the true character of God. Like how God values the ones. And my favorite story of that is when Jesus healed the man with leprosy. You know, this is a man who had a skin condition that was so infectious that he was cast out of his own uh, town, of his own family, he was not allowed to touch anyone. And he came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you are willing, you can heal me. And Jesus could totally have just stood back and said, yep, be healed, be clean, you're now healed. But what catches my heart every single time is that Jesus reaches out and touches the man. He doesn't fear about getting, he isn't afraid of getting sick. He instead sees the heart of this man. And he doesn't just restore him physically, but he restores his position and respectability in his town. He shows the man that he is valuable, regardless of how his skin looks or what he's done before. Jesus values the ones. As the disciples followed Jesus, they learned the truth about Scripture, that God's rules are actually to love God and to love others, not the 613 other rules that the Pharisees were trying to enforce upon people. As they followed Jesus, they learned about God's desire for a restored relationship with people. The world was broken by sin, and yet Jesus came as the Messiah, the one who would show them the truth and the way back to God. 
And even though Jesus died and all hope was lost, three days later, he came back to life and 11 of his disciples got to witness it. How's that for a learning experience? And then finally, as they followed Jesus, the disciples were empowered to do what Jesus had done. This wasn't a follow me, watch what I do, and then when I leave, you can go back to your ordinary life kind of relationship. This was a follow me, watch what I do, then go and do even more, even greater things than I have been doing. Jesus himself said in John 14, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. This was a promise for the disciples. It was a promise for the early church and it's a promise for us today as well. As we follow Jesus, walking in relationship with him, he will empower us, he will fill us with the Holy Spirit and we will be equipped to do what he has done, to raise people from the dead, to heal the sick, to help the broken and the hurting. Jesus is inviting you into a relationship. And I believe that as we follow him in that, it'll also be a great adventure. He's inviting us to a great adventure. Have you ever been on an adventure? Like a true adventure. Not like just to the shopping center when it's Christmas time, but um, you know, an adventure like hiking up Mount Barney, which is south of Brisbane, it takes a whole day to do. When I get the word like adventure, I kind of picture Dora the Explorer or Bear Grylls, you know, these very big adventurous characters. You know, as they're all people, uh, you know, packing their bag and setting forth with excitement and anticipation of what lies ahead. And, you know, as they, as they go on their adventure, they come across challenges, obstacles like rough terrain and unexpected detours and snakes and spiders and other bugs that can hurt. And yet, they don't give up when they come across a challenge. They keep pushing through. They are victorious at the end because they've overcome all of those challenges. And not only are they victorious, they're also stronger than when they began, and they're able to embark on another adventure with even more confidence, even more ability than what they had before. You know, I believe this is the same with the adventure of following Jesus. It's not always easy. In fact, there are times when it will be actually really hard. And yet, that doesn't mean it's wrong. It doesn't mean we followed him to the wrong place. But this is a time when we can learn more about who he is, how he is faithful, how he is always with us, how he does strengthen us when we feel weak and broken and all alone. And how even when we cannot see it, even when we don't feel it, he's still there. And I can say this with confidence because this is something I've had to go through. Seven years ago, almost to the day, I had a great life. I was working as a paramedic in North Queensland and on the side, because as a shift worker, you always have another side, I was coordinating the children's ministry out there and then doing every other fun thing that you could do in North Queensland with the Queensland coastline. It was gorgeous. And I loved it. But at that time, I sensed God calling me to something more. And it's probably one of the clearest times I've heard Jesus, uh, God's message to me. It helped. It came from three different uh, avenues. I think there was a guest speaker who preached the same sort of message and then the book I was reading and there was one more and I can't remember what it is. I just know that were three different messages all saying the same thing. And it was saying, Cherith, this is great, but I have something greater for you. Now, naive little me thought, cool, <laughs> this is great. I love my life. But if God has promised something even greater, sure, I want to know what that is. And so I resigned from my comfortable, good-paying job and committed to the unknown. I had no idea what I was going to, which is totally against my character. I love to have a plan. I like to know all the details before I step into whatever that plan is. And, you know, if that plan gets interrupted, I crumble on the inside. But at this point, I was so confident that God had promised greater, and I wanted to know what that was. So was it great? The first year was pretty good. I stayed in that town, and I was employed full-time at the church I was at. Not only did I get to teach kids about God on a Sunday morning, we had over 70 kids coming along at that point, 
But, uh, you know, I also got to go into four different schools during the week, state schools, or there was one Christian school, most of them were state schools, and teach the children there about God. Now, this was a town that had a really large proportion of uh, lower socioeconomic families, broken families, children from indigenous backgrounds, where, you know, the value that, they were give, that was given on them or bestowed upon them wasn't really that great. And yet my heart then, just as it is today, is to show these children that God values them no matter how much the world looks down on them. And so it was great. But then the second year, I burnt myself out, running from one role to another, which people had warned me about, but I'm like, no, 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 I'll be fine. Yeah, I wasn't fine. So I spent a year in England attempting to recover, which was also not a good choice because England is really cold and trying to recover from burnout there was not that great. So I came back to Australia and had to struggle through reverse culture shock and find my joy again. What happened to this greater life that God had promised me? You know, it was really tough. I remember times when I was just sitting with my journal, trying to write out the promises I knew about God, that he was good, that he was faithful, that he had a good plan, and yet all I could do was cry every time I tried to say the truth about who God was. It was one of the toughest times, actually, to that point, it was the toughest time in my life. And yet, I remember thinking, God, if you ask me to do this again, I'd do it again. Because I trusted that God had a plan and that even in these valley times, there was a reason for it. God never wastes anything. And he was doing something in me even if I didn't see it. Because in our tough times, God is birthing in us a new strength, a new hope, a new confidence in who he is. He will bring us out the other side stronger and better than we have ever been before. You see, as we follow Jesus, he's not trying to lead us to a place that will shame us or embarrass us. He's instead always in the business of lifting us up, of empowering us. This is the great adventure he's inviting us into. Jesus had confidence that his disciples could follow him in this great adventure, and he has confidence that we can follow him too in this great adventure. So many years ago, 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked up to some ordinary men and said, follow me. And they did. Today, Jesus is holding out the same invitation to you. Follow me. Will you accept the invitation? Will you commit to the life that Jesus has for you, following him wherever he may lead? You know, you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have all the right answers. You don't have to strive to be good enough. It's just about having a willing heart to accept that invitation and to go where he wants you to go. So what's your next step? Is it to say yes to Jesus, yes to that invitation for the very first time? Or maybe you followed him a while ago and you went, if you look at your life now, you're going, you know what, I somehow forgot where Jesus was leading and I need to come back in behind him to follow in his footsteps into the extraordinary. You know, if that is you today, I would like to pray and I will be praying later into that. But maybe your next step is to get baptised, to show that, you know, my old self is gone and I actually want to declare publicly to everyone that I am following Jesus. And in a few weeks' time, the start of term four, we will have a baptism service here. We'll fill that concrete circle with water and we'd love to stand with you, celebrate with you as you take that next step of baptism. Perhaps your next step to follow Jesus is to go into the broken and hurting communities around us and to share the love of God with those people in a way that God will equip you to do. Or perhaps your next step is to keep doing what you're doing. It might seem mundane, but nothing is mundane to God. He always has a reason in it. And so no matter where you are, whether you've been there for a while or whether you feel like you're being caught into something else, you can trust 
that Jesus will lead you into the right place. So this morning, I wanna pray for all of us. I'll pray two prayers. The first one is that we will have the courage to follow Jesus wherever He may lead. And then the second prayer is to follow Jesus for that first time or to recommit to following Him. So would you stand with me as we pray? Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your invitation to follow you. God, I pray that all of us here today would have the courage to follow you wherever you lead. You know, whether we've been following you for a long time or a short time, God, doesn't matter to you. You just call us to follow and you will love us and grow us to a place where we might never have imagined we could get to in our own strength. Lord, I pray that as we follow you, we would uh, discover the true nature of who you are, your power, but also your delight and your love for us personally. And God, I pray that we wouldn't back down from any challenges that come our way, but that we would just be willing to face whatever comes and know that we don't face it alone and it's not a mistake for you. So Lord, give us the courage to accept your invitation and to follow you wherever we may lead. And Lord, today... I wanna pray also for people who wanna take that, uh, that invitation and accept it for the very first time, or who feel like they've been walking away from you and have lost you know, where your footsteps are. God, I pray that we would be able to accept that invitation. And if that is you, would you just pray along with these words? God, today, I choose to follow you, you know, to accept that invitation to let you be the Lord of my life, to let you lead me into the future. Lord, I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done or that I will do. And thank you for your forgiveness and your heart to want all of us, even me. Lord, be with us today and into the future. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to encourage you on your journey. Help us help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking on Get Connected.